0: I want you to turn to Acts 14 in your Bibles, and we're going to read an account of some of Paul's missionary journeys. And uh, through that, I I think we're going to find something that you can use in your daily life that not only can you use, but it's going to bring faith as the word is meant to do. It's going to bring faith that when you hear it, you're going to understand that uh, we don't think like the world and we don't act like the world, do we? We don't we don't operate by the same standards they operate. We don't we don't need what they need. We don't want what they want. We are a chosen people, a holy nation, peculiar. We're weird, but that's okay. We're not really weird. They're the weird ones. But, you know, you understand that God loves them so much. He sent them you. And uh, that's a cool thought. I mean, he sent them Jesus first and then he left you on the planet. If not, he could have just uh, he could have just raptured you the moment you said amen. Amen. When you accepted him into your life and proclaimed him Lord, he could have just said, Okay, that's it. Now you're coming up to be with me. But that's not what he did. He left you here. He left you here to make an impact on those ones that he loves as well. Here's what he says in in Acts chapter 14. uh, Dr. Luke writes in verse 1 that in Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner. that a large number of people believed. What kind of manner do you think that was? What do you think the manner was that they spoke so that a lot of people believed? Do you think it just means that they, uh, that they were, were funny enough that people didn't you know, fall asleep or go home? No, this is, uh, this is in the power of the Spirit. That's the manner you're meant to speak. I don't care how well you did in English class in the sp- or speech class or whatever kind of class they taught you to do public speaking, you may have bombed it. Most preachers didn't do all that well in public speaking. It's the funniest thing. You talk to a lot of people that, that have d- gone on to, to speak the word to millions of people, and, and they weren't that great of a speaker before the Lord got a hold of them. So whatever you did in school, whatever you did growing up, however you perceived yourself, you can preach in that same manner. You can speak in that same manner. A manner of faith and boldness that you preach the word clearly as the Spirit gives you utterance. That's the key though, isn't it? As the Spirit gives you utterance. And so here we see that they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks or Gentiles. But of the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles. Do you know... Disbelieving is just as much of an action as believing is. We think that disbelieving is just the absence of belief, but it's not. We think that if somebody hasn't made up their mind for Jesus, when they've been preached the gospel, when they've heard the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they just didn't make a decision right then, we think it's lack of action, but I'm telling you it is it is an action. To not respond to the prodding of the Holy Spirit is a response. There is two. There are two answers you can give when the Holy Spirit comes knocking: yes or no. Now you're going to get more than one chance. Thank God. You're going to get another chance. In my experience, at least, you know, this is this is just in my experience. I I've known people that have said no many times, and the Lord keeps knocking, and they say yes. Um, Paul is an example of that. When he was Saul of Tarsus, they. Jesus fesses up. He says that the, I've been prodding you this whole time. I've been poking you and you've been kicking instead of going. Yes, Lord, you've been kicking against it. So it takes him knocking him down on the road to Damascus to get his attention. But, you know, the Holy Spirit was met, was trying to get his attention the whole time. So that how many times did Paul say no? And he didn't just say no politely. Every time he felt that poking, he fought against it so hard that he had to go throw some Christians in prison, separate families, perhaps even lead people to their execution, as as in the case of Stephen. So we see that uh, God gives second, third, fourth, fifth chances. But that doesn't that doesn't leave us out of the equation that that when he says now believe and we say later, I'll believe We're not saying nothing. We're saying something. And that is no. And you don't want to say no. You want to say yes. So there were a group of people that believed and there were a group of people that disbelieved. Don't be the disbelievers. Be the believers, right? So the group of the people that disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, we've talked about this before. (laughs) That's that's usually the cue to leave. But, no, they stir up a riot, therefore they stayed a long time there, speaking boldly, that's the manner, boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Jews, Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the city of Laconia, Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, a man who was sitting and had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and he had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. And we've talked a lot about that. And it's just one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. But We're going to keep going for the sake of time. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. Because that was generally accepted in Greek mythology was, you know, in the Greek religion was that gods regularly came down. And, you know, that's how they procreated. That's how... Zeus had his kids was, you know, get down, act like a man and seduce some woman and have a kid. You know, this is so they thought this is entirely possible that the gods have become like men, although I can't even recall a story that the gods came and and just healed people for the sake of healing them. The, The gods they believed in were not that noble, but these ones came, preached the gospel and there were signs and wonders. And these guys say the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they begin calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. <laughs> because Hermes was the messenger of the gods. And since Paul was the guy that was talking, he must be the messenger. And Barnabas is this dignified man, probably a little bit bigger. And he must be Zeus. Okay, well, this, they've got it all figured out. This is cool. They've come to visit us. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, this guy's no dummy. He's jumping on the bandwagon, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews, now listen, so there's a crowd that loves them. But Paul and Barnabas are not content. With taking glory that's not there, so they actually tear their robes and say, "Please, don't glorify us." So there's a group that loves them, but there's also a group that's really, really mad at them. There are Jews in the ver- in verse uh, nineteen, but Jews came from Antioch. They've got groupies, negative groupies. They've got groupies. that groupities. They've got <laughs> groupity groupities. They've got groupies that follow them for the sole purpose of Causing riots wherever they go. Sounds like Canucks fans, huh? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right. They follow them everywhere saying we're going to cause riots. We're going to cause them trouble wherever they go. We don't want anyone to believe what they say. Now, you may have some people that don't like you, but how many of you have somebody in your life that follows you everywhere and makes sure no one listens to a thing you say? We've all probably met somebody like that. But imagine having a crowd of people like that, that follow you to your every meeting, follow you to every time you share the gospel, they're right behind trying to start a riot. Even saying this, oh, sorry, um, let me read verse 19 again. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So he went from preaching the gospel With signs and wonders, a man getting healed, having groups of people trying to sacrifice them to them as gods. He went from that one moment to being stoned to death the next. It's a big switch, right? The crowds are fickle. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. Whether he was dead or not, that's your judgment, I believe. This is a case of resurrection. Now, even if he was so near dead that they thought he was dead, it's still resurrection either way. He's so close to dead, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. Now, you see the disciples standing around him. My thought on that is that uh, what are they doing standing around him? Are they staring at his body, do you think? What do you think they're doing? They're praying. And when they pray, what happens? He gets up. He gets up and gets as far away from that evil place as he can. No, he gets up and walks right back into the city. Because that was the last thing he was told to do. God didn't tell me I was allowed to leave, but you just got stoned to death. He didn't tell me anything different. (laughs) I mean, I just had a good conversation with him. Trust me. And he said, uh, go back to the city. So he walks right back into the city. (laughs) He's a fool. And the next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. So they went back. Now now that verse right there, it says, from which they had been commended by the grace of God to the work that they had uh, accomplished. So what does that mean? That means that they started in Antioch. If you read back, there was a great revival in the church in Antioch. I want to be a church like this that doesn't just try to gather as much people and keep them, but rather trains people up, has revival, and then sends them to where they need to go. This is cool. So there is a revival here. Barnabas says, you got to see this, Paul. He goes and gets Paul. Paul comes, experiences the spirit of God moving amongst the Gentiles. And then they say, Paul and Barnabas, it's your time. Go spread this to the nations. So Paul and Barnabas receive this commission and they go wherever God tells them to go. They go. They finish their job. They come back and say, mission accomplished. I mean, they, they have some bruises. They have some stories, but they come back now. Now, what's just happened to them? Paul has been stoned to death. There have been riots almost every place they go. Opposition. The message Paul preaches is. On our way to the kingdom, you got to go through some tribulation. Now, what's the kind of report you come back and preach to the church? Because if you're you're of the world, if you're in the world, you want to convince everybody what a good soldier you are and you tell them how hard it was and how sad it was and how much opposition there was. But here we're looking at a group of men that knew their assignment and knew that there was something bigger at work, knew that God did what God had told them to do, that no matter where they went, no matter how many times they got beat, people got saved. No matter how many riots there were, there was revival. No matter how many people got mad, there were just as many people getting healed. So is this a win or a loss? Here's what they say. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them. Do you hear that? What's the report? They've got a lot of stories that they could tell about how hard it was, how much abuse they received, how much persecution they went through. But what do they report? What God had done. Because in the end, that's all that really matters. Everything else is just a sidetrack. It's just a distraction. Let's focus on what God's doing among the people. See, you can go through life and concentrate on all the people that didn't believe what you said. You can go through life and concentrate on all the people that don't like you and spend all your time, energy, prayer and, and, and ability trying to get them to like you. But the Bible does not say that that's what you're supposed to do. It's says yes pray for your enemies it says yes bless those who persecute but it doesn't say you spend your life chasing them trying to get them to like you there will be those who never receive what you say what you need to focus on are the ones that did believe you say what has God done we all could sit around and tell stories of what the devil tried to do but I'd much rather sit around and tell stories of what God had done Because the more you focus on the failures or what you perceive to be the failure, the more you miss the big picture of what God is doing in the hearts of those that have received the word. If Jesus had had the attitude that everybody that rejected his message was a loss, he would have considered his life a waste. But he didn't. At the end of his life, he brags. I I say that word loosely because Jesus had no pride of self in him, but he he thanks the Father and he said, The ones you gave me I kept he doesn't say I kept everybody he doesn't say I pleased everybody, but the ones you gave me I kept we've talked about this in the, in the atmosphere of ministers of of people in your church the ones that are given the ones that you keep the ones that you have prayed for and 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 fought for and loved and, and kept but now in your own lives You're going to have a lot of people. Who hear the gospel from your lips. I pray that that's true. I pray that you're not. That you're not a secret agent out there. Trying to be undercover for Jesus. So that he has somebody on the inside. I pray that you have the the love. That God fills your heart. That as you become. As you get a revelation of his love for you. That you'd have love for the people around you. Enough to tell them. I got to tell you about this good news because it is good news, right? Yeah. Have we forgotten it's good news? No, we haven't forgotten that. So, you're going to go through life, and there are going to be people, people that believe and the people that disbelieve. Now, your flesh wants to meditate and mull over the people that disbelieved. If you let your soul take a hold of this, what's your soul? Your mind, your will. And the E word, the emotions. If you let that take hold, you'll have five people that said, I'm glad you shared that with me. And one that say, I hate you. I never want to see you again. And you'll go home. And all you can think about is that person who said, I hated you. That's what your soul wants to think about. But your spirit won't have anything to do with that. Your spirit realizes the spirit, which is fed and and spoken to by the Holy Spirit, led and guided, understands That not everybody you're going to preach to is going to receive the first time they hear. Not everybody you preach to is going to love what you have to say. Doesn't mean you did anything wrong. You may have done everything right. And if you let yourself, you can go home and be discouraged and say, what did I do wrong that they didn't receive? But friends, if you did it in the love of God, you spoke in the utterance of the Holy Spirit. Your heart was right. Your intentions were pure. They are not disbelieving you. They're disbelieving the word. And there's a big difference. I'm trying to convey to you tonight that that if you go home and let yourself suffer that condemnation of I must have done something wrong. Why won't they like me? Why won't they love me? You will be handicapped for the rest of your life from really preaching with a clear conscience the word of God. You've got to preach it with boldness and you've got to act like you've never been rejected before. You've got to go and preach it like everybody wants to hear it, even when they don't. Because we go into it with this apologetic attitude like, I'm sorry I have to tell you this, but there is good news for you. (laughs) Don't let me step on your toes with my beliefs. Really? Is what we believe in... The anvil we put on people's toes or is it the salvation that rescues them from a life of, of darkness and, 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 and just just a loss, a separation from the very God that loved them and created them? That's what we're offering the world. Don't you think they want that if they knew that's what they could have? But there will be people that reject it. And you must reject the 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 urge to go home and listen to your soul and and mull about all the ones that didn't listen to me and they don't like me and they're trying to get me fired and <sighs> if you do that then the next day you come in you're a little quieter with your faith you're a bit sneakier about it I don't believe the gospel has any place in darkness I don't believe there are any shadows in the gospel. That means there must be no deceit in the way you share it. I am very much against trickery when it comes to sharing the gospel. Because I don't believe it leads to faith. I've read tracts that to me seemed trick tricky. Like they're trying to trick you into saying a prayer. Do you think if you're tricked into saying a prayer, there's any faith there? No. You just deceive somebody. Do you think God works with deceit? No. The gospel is good enough news that you can share it. The love of God is is great enough that you can share it. The grace of God is huge enough that you can share it. The mercy of God is overwhelming enough that you can open your mouth and you don't have to sugarcoat it. It couldn't be sweeter. And if they disbelieve, it's because of blindness, not because, well, you were just too bold about it need to be trickier next time. Like those people that come to your door and ask you strange questions like, have you heard about what's going on in the Middle East? Crazy, huh? Uh -huh. I feel like I'm talking to a telemarketer here. (laughs) You give me a publication that, you know, tries so hard to disguise what it really is and who it's really from until I get to the back and I go, that's who this is? Well, I don't believe that has any place in the gospel. The gospel is good news. We can just present it as it is. And if they disbelieve, you don't go home and mourn over their disbelief. Now, if the Lord tells you to pray and intercede for them, that the eyes may be open so that they'd see what God wants them to see, then you do it in faith. You don't do it with a whiny, cryy attitude. Cryy is not a real word echo. But you don't go with a whiny, weepy attitude of why won't they just believe? You go in faith and you speak to the spirits that have bound them. And you speak to the strongholds that have taken place in their life. And you speak to the things that have blinded them. And you've got the dominion to do something about it. Now, they're ultimately going to have to open their own hearts. But you can really help them out. If the Lord puts them on your heart, you spend all your time praying. But you can't spend all your time focusing on those who've disbelieved. No pastor would survive that. No saint as you are would survive preaching the gospel if you went home and cried over everybody that didn't believe what you said. Now I realize this is elementary to some of you. Some of you go, of course, that's true, Jonathan. Why do you even take the breath to say it? We know this. But I know many believers have been beaten back, cowed in to being secretive and ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they've spent too much time focusing on those that didn't believe. Here's what it says. Verse 27. We're going to read the whole thing again. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things, all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. They spent a long time with who? The disciples, right? That's generally who you're meant to spend a lot of time with. The ones who believe. You preach to those who don't, and you focus and spend your energy on the ones that did. Unless the Lord tells you something different. Now, there are times where there are exceptions to this, and he puts somebody in your heart that you've been praying for for 15 years, and on year 15, month 3, they come and say, what must I do to be saved? I completely agree with that. If the Lord's put them on your heart, you do that. But I also want to tell you, there are people that are hungry, and you've got to focus on them. You got to feed them something. There are people that believe the first time you spoke, you saw something light up in your eye. Talk to those people more. Take some lunch breaks with them because that's a lot of times what they need. They need somebody to say, okay, I, 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 I hear you. I believe it, but I don't know what to do next. Oh, yes, friends, this is somebody that God has put in your life. Treasure that honor that and say so you got now you have to come over to my house. I've got some things to talk to you about. I mean, you spend time with these people because these are people that are hungry. You invite them to church, you phone them and check on them. You see what's going on because those are the people that God has put in your life to affect has some great conversations with Josh here. I mean, he's always got he's, he's got a cadre of believers that <laughs> that that he's calling. I mean, when we're on the way back from Loon Lake, he's checking his phone, getting texts, giving praise reports because he's checking up on these folks. Josh, I don't mean to embarrass you in front of everybody. <laughs> Glory to God, indeed. But that's something I respect and admire is is our people that that will say. This person believed when I when they heard me preach This person received from the gospel. I'm going to I'm going to call him again. This is good ground. I'm going to keep sowing seed here. What did Jesus say? He said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give a bunch of pearls to pigs that don't like pearls. What's the difference between a pig and a human when it comes to pearls? Humans see value in the pearl. Pigs just want something they can eat. And they crunch on that pearl, they get angry, and they turn around and they run you over. That's what Jesus said they would do. So don't spend all your time talking to people that don't respect or honor what you're telling them. Doesn't mean you don't preach. Doesn't mean you don't pray. Doesn't mean you don't share. But focus on those that have given honor to the word. That's what Jesus did. He didn't spend a lot of time in his hometown. Why? Because they didn't honor him there. And if they didn't honor him there, he's moving on. This is sometimes hard to hear because there are people you've been banging your head against the wall for 10 years and they never seem to believe. I'm not telling you to stop praying for them because God knows there are many people in the body of Christ who are believers now because somebody didn't give up on them. But I am saying you don't spend all your time thinking, focusing on those people that disbelieved. You spend a good portion of time on those that have. And those that are on their way, you know, there are seekers who have not yet crossed that line of faith. But they're close. Don't you love talking to those people? Don't you love their hunger as they ask you questions? They may have messed up beliefs. They may believe that trees talk back when you go to the forest. But they're seeking something. And if you can give them the gospel and they're willing to hear it, spend some time. Don't let them influence you. You influence them. This is good. So here's what happens. He spends time and they say a door of faith has opened to the Gentiles. Does that sound like a door to you? To me, this does not sound like a door. It sounds like there's a lot of people trying to keep you out. I thought doors were supposed to be easy little paths that you just walk through and tiptoe through the tulips. It just seemed simple and it just seemed easy and it just seemed like there was a vacuum sucking you into it. But instead, it seems like Paul's got a machete in his hand. And he's going through the jungle, chopping away, and there's all sorts of things coming against him and he just keeps chopping. That doesn't sound like a door. What's the door? Is the door circumstance? No. Is the door that everybody liked them? No. The door of faith had been opened. Well, what what did that mean? Well, that first meant that God had made the gospel open to the Gentiles and not just the Jews. Praise the Lord but that also God had granted that their eyes could be opened and there was a door open so that many Gentiles believed and there were disciples in every community, though there were riots in every community, opposition in every community. Praise the Lord, there were disciples. So Paul doesn't go and say this was a loss, this was a failure. He says this was a grand success because a door has been opened for us. Praise the Lord. you got to see the doors that have been opened. I want to read you something from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Or sorry, chapter 16. I'm I'm thinking of a verse in chapter 1. But that's going to be my secret. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Praise the Lord. I like I like this whole book. It gets me excited when I read about what God's doing. What God did through that church that had a lot of mess-ups, had a lot of doctrinal mistakes. But it starts out with that declaration that God has chosen the weak. He's chosen the not-so-noble, the not-so-mighty, the not-so-smart to do great. Things to nullify the things that are to confound the wise. He's chosen the weak and base things of this world. He has made us who were just not not measuring up. He's become our righteousness, our redemption, our sanctification. I like that. Our wisdom. This is good. So first Corinthians 16. In verse seven. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing. Where I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. How many of you remember what happened in Ephesus? Can I give you a brief rundown? You can read Acts 19 and and find out for yourself. But here's what happens. Paul comes, finds a few disciples. They have no idea what the Holy Spirit is. He tells them they get filled. They all start speaking with tongues. He starts having a Bible study. He starts going to the synagogue and preaching. Pretty soon, they get so mad at him, they kick him out of the synagogue. He doesn't leave the city. He says, fine, we'll find somebody else that has a building. And they go to the school of Tyrannus, which is probably not really a building. It's more outdoor. And, uh, and uh, they have this, this theater that they can go in where, where probably the Greeks are using it at night when sane people go outside. Uh, in the middle of the heat. (laughs) And he says, fine, if you're not going to use it in the midday sun, we'll use it. And the disciples are hungry enough for the word that there's a great group of them come out every day to hear Paul teach. Because of this, the gospel spreads throughout Asia. Those disciples hear it, they spread it out. Then the same disciples turn from paganism to the living God, turn from idols to a real God and Savior, and they burn all their books of magic. Before that, there are handkerchiefs that people are rubbing, that people are stealing from Paul's workbench and rubbing on people. And demons are getting cast out. People are getting healed. Sons of Sceva, try it. Doesn't work. They have the big... Then the big bonfire happens where everybody says we're burning our books of sorcery. They're not burning other people's books. They're burning their own big clue there. So this happens. Oh, this is awesome. Then the silversmiths say, because Ephesus is a big city. I realize this is like really quick, brief history, but we got to get through it. So the the silversmiths say, golly, if they stop believing in the idols, what are we going to do for a living? That's how we make all our money. So. The great temple of Artemis is there and nobody's listening to Artemis. and Nobody's worshiping Artemis anymore. There goes our business. They start a riot because they're worried that God is taking over and no one's listening to Artemis anymore. And she's going to be dethroned from all her magnificence, both here and for the rest of the world. And they're worried about it, which is really cool. So then they start a riot and they try to kick the apostles out. They drag a guy out of his house. But the word keeps spreading. This is where Paul says, I think I'm gonna stay a little bit longer. That was a very brief rundown. <laughs> I did it as fast as I could. <laughs> but in Ephesus, this is what this is what he's what he what he's run into. So what are you gonna focus on, guys? Are you gonna focus on the great number of disciples that have come out to are you going to focus on the, the, the Jews that kicked you out of the synagogue? Or are you going to focus on the disciples that are willing to show up in the middle of the day, outside, sit in the heat and listen to the word? Are you going to focus on the, the demons being cast out? Or are you going to focus on the demons ripping the sons of Sceva apart? Are you going to focus on the... Bonfire where these believers are not ashamed of the gospel, so proud of Jesus that they're willing to stand up to their friends and neighbors and say, we don't believe that stuff anymore. We believe in a living God. Or are you going to focus on the riot? What do you focus on? You focus on what God has done. Here's what he says. Verse 8, I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service. A wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. That doesn't sound like a wide door. Wait, I thought you said a wide door. I think I think the way what what Paul meant to say, let me paraphrase, is a wide door has opened for me. And thank God there's not many adversaries, right? That's what a wide door looks like. The the door has nothing to do with how much you're opposed. The door has nothing to do with how much you're pushed against. We've been deceived into a passive Christianity that says when there's an open opportunity and no resistance, that must be a door. That's not a door. That's just the path of least resistance. That's a sewage drain. The door is sometimes a place that you've got to use all the faith you've got in you to press through and fight through and walk through. But it is where God has called you to go. And Jesus says in the book of Revelation, I'm the guy with the keys. I open the door that no one can shut. I close doors that no one can open. This is me. If I open it, no one can shut it. Oh, they can, they can get mad, they can get furious, they can get bent out of shape, but they can't shut the door. So the door must not be referring to how easy it was. The door must not be referring to whoever invited you to their church because it doesn't seem like too many people are inviting him to their synagogue. The door has everything to do with that ability to speak and the people believing that God has opened a wide door For, what does it say? Effective service. Do you ever feel like you're working and nothing's ever getting done? Do you ever feel like you spent your time and you're doing the same thing but you're not getting any results? When you see the door that God opens for you, you may feel like that for a while, but really what he's talking about here is a wide door for effective service. What does effective service mean? It means work that has a lot of effect means work that you see results. You say, Paul, you're not seeing results. There's riots everywhere you go. He goes, yeah, you're looking at the wrong thing. I'm seeing disciples. I'm seeing churches being strengthened in the midst of persecution. That, to me, is a wide door. So, guys, you've got to focus on the right thing you got to see the doors for what they are. If you get if you get sold into the lie that a door is is just the easiest thing that comes across or the first opportunity that comes across your path, you're missing out. you got to know a door is when God speaks to your spirit. Now I'm going to be very practical right now. So if you think that this just all seems kind of pie in the sky, let me be very practical. When you seek the Lord and you hear that voice. You feel that urging. You feel that pushing on the inside of you and you walk through it. You've got to walk through it because that's a door he's opening. Through that door, there are many who are going to resist you. Doesn't mean the door is being shut. Just means you're going to do some actual good and Satan knows it. You keep pressing. And then you find that there's fruit coming out of it. Oh, maybe not in the people you thought, but maybe in these weirdos that you didn't think would listen to a thing you said. Now they're gathering around me. The rejects, the society didn't want to have anything to do with. Now they're getting born again and they're preaching and now they got something to say. What's going on? I, I thought I'd get all the yacht owners born again. Well, he wants the rich and poor. He wants all of them, doesn't he? But that's not your choice. That's his. And that's theirs, whether they're going to believe or not. You walk through that door, and instead of saying, There are many adversaries, I can't go there, you say, There's a wide door, and there are many adversaries. That's why I'm sticking around, that's why I'm going through it, that's why I need you to pray. In Colossians and Ephesians, in both places, uh, but Colossians specifically uses the word door, Paul says, Uh, A door of utterance has been opened for me. Pray that a door of utterance would be opened for me. That God would open a door that I could speak his words and not my own. That to me is a door. Praise the Lord. So we look for those. My friends, I'm telling you, you've got to look for those doors and you've got to focus on those things. He's not focusing on the riots. He's not focusing on the people that rejected him. He's focusing on the effective service that lies beyond that door. He's focused on the disciples that have believed. He's focused on what God is doing in the hearts of people. So you can be in a city that hates you, but have 50 people in a church that believe and consider it a success. Here's what. Jesus said in Luke 10, and we'll we'll wrap it up right after this in Luke 10. Jesus gives instruction. To the 70 as they're sent out to do the work of the ministry. Verse one, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go behold. In other words, look at this. I have sent you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Doesn't this sound funny. Have any of you thought of this as ministry? We think we're supposed to hit as many houses as we can hit. Jesus didn't tell him to do that. He said you go and you find the man or woman, probably in your margin, it says, or person. Find the man of peace. And if he's a man of peace, your peace remains on him. If not, it returns to you. You go somewhere else. We'll, we'll come back to that thought in a minute. He says. Whatever city you enter and you receive, you eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever you city you enter and they do not receive, you go out into the streets and say. Even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Now he goes on and talks about those cities, but I want to talk to you just briefly about the thought that Jesus puts and, and the command that he gives them when he says, go and find the house that will receive you. Stay there. He doesn't say go Tell them really quickly that go and knock. This is not a numbers game, people. It's about fruit. This is about, about, this is about doing the work of Jesus, spreading the kingdom. And it is not a race. It is a lifestyle. So what he says is you don't try to see how many doors you can knock on. You go and you knock until you find somebody who is a man of peace. Which means they're receiving the peace that's on you. It means that their heart is set towards the right thing. It means that there is a path prepared for the way of the Lord. And you go in and you preach to them. And they believe. Stay. Eat their food. Sleep there, he says. Don't keep going from house to house. You just found your first church. This is church planning 101. Now, now you say, I'm not a church planner. Oh, no, I know you're not. Well, maybe some of you are. I know not everybody here could be a church planner. But there are little micro versions of this all throughout life. Groups of people you're going to have influence over at work. Groups of people you're going to have influence over at the gym. Groups of people you're going to have influence over when your kids have play dates. Because here's the deal. There's a good number of people that are just going to toss off what you say. But there's going to be a few that hear you. Instead of playing the numbers game and and just focusing and trying to get everybody to like you, why don't you focus on the ones that heard and believed and keep feeding that? Pray for those people. You see, we spend so much time, guys. I know we pray. For, I, I pray for those whose heart are still hard and that, that haven't received yet. I believe in that. I am a firm believer in that, but we should not be spending. of our time praying for those who haven't received and 20% for the ones that have. Flip it around. Spend your time on the people who would hear the word because those are the good ground. That's what Jesus did, right? He put most of his life into 12 men. The ones who would be discipled. Then he had the larger group of disciples. These 70 are part of that. And he spent more time with them than with the multitudes. There's different levels of relationships, and that's okay. So here's, here's we're going to wrap this all up in a, in a minute here with this thought. That I believe you guys are gospel sharing machines. You are po- little, uh, you're pods. That have seeds in them. That will spread to the ends of our community. To the ends of our province. To the ends of our nation. To the ends of the world. If you just share what God's got in you. What God's put in you. How many times have you come into this place. And heard the gospel preached. Through many words. Through many methods. Through many scriptures. And you are so full of the word of God. Each one of you could take kingdoms. So start. Just by letting it out. And when you do, don't go home and cry about the ones that rejected you. Go home and praise God for the ones that heard the word and believed. Pray for them. Phone them. Spend time with them. For those are your first house that you got to go to. They're the men and women of peace. You stay there. You eat their food. You sleep. Now, I'm not telling you to, you know, be a Steve Urkel and invite yourself over all the time. He's... He's saying, this is how you start a church. This is how you start a church. You go into a village and you don't try to get everybody born again. You preach the gospel. The ones that believe start with them. Do you know what? The ones that don't believe. Maybe the ones that you're spending time on right now are going to be the ones to reach those people. You ever think about that? They could be the ones to, to water that seed. They could be the ones to harvest the seed that you've planted. Praise God, you planted it. You know, Stephen planted a seed in Saul that he never got to harvest. But somebody else did. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of a seed planted that you don't see the fruit yet. You let maybe maybe somebody else that you are ministering to is going to be the person to do that. But you need to go home and you need to meditate on what God has done, not what Satan's done. Meditate on what God has done. For the doors that he's opened. seek those doors out. How do you seek them out? You seek them out in prayer. You spend your time saying, "Lord, open doors for me and open my eyes that I can see the doors." And though there are many adversaries, give me the faith, the courage, the boldness to walk through them and speak your word as it ought to be spoke with boldness and clarity. And we're going to see lives changed. I do believe there are many more people in Lloyd Minster. Many, many thousands more that will believe. But there are people that you're going to be able to lead that wouldn't listen to me. You accept that holy, sacred responsibility. You go out with joy and you share it. And you don't go home and cry about the ones that didn't believe. You praise God for the ones that did. Amen. 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 Praise God. Let's stand up. Thank God. If you'll accept the call, if you'll accept the mission, this is your mission should you choose to accept it. If you'll accept it, you have the grace to do it. Because the grace of God always accompanies the voice of God. So if you hear the voice of God, you have the grace to do it. You've got the strength to do it. You've got the anointing to do it. Amen. Lord, may your word explode in our hearts. So much so that it will rapidly grow, rapidly spread like a a healthy virus that goes throughout our spirit and our soul, causing it to spring up in in, in the most unexpected places. May your word... Just stay with us as we hit our pillows tonight. May it stay with us as we get up in the morning. May that word marinate in us and may we be so sure that you've called us to this task that we won't be talked out of it again. For those who've allowed themselves to be talked out of their holy calling, I know that you you felt bad about it. I know that you've had regrets. I want you to leave that all at the altar. I mean, just leave it at the cross right now. Just lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Stop thinking about the opportunities you've missed. Quit it. Just think about what's ahead. Forget what lies behind and look to what lies ahead. For therein lies your salvation. Therein lies the answer. The answer that the world is looking for. Open up your eyes and just see the doors that he's put in front of you. Friends, don't look for doors without adversaries. Look for the doors of utterance, the doors of faith, the doors that you are meant to walk through. And if there are adversaries, don't you know your God is bigger than the adversaries? If there are complications, don't you know that God has foreseen and already provided a way of escape from every trial, every temptation, every tribulation and every attack of the enemy? This is not new to him. He's seen it. He's prepared a path that you could walk in. Doors that no man can shut. He shut doors that no man's going to be able to open that are going to protect you from the enemy. So I want you to be able to say, I'm not going to regret what I haven't done. I'm going to look forward to what I will do in the power of the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders so that the gospel may be fully preached wherever I go. Empower your servants, God. Empower your sons and your daughters to be a walking, living example of Jesus Christ that the world may know that there is a God, that the world may know that there is healing, that the world may know that there is a God who has loved them enough to die in their place, to reconcile all things to himself, that the world may know there is hope. Don't allow us to be ashamed of ourselves or of this precious gospel or of the name of Jesus, which is mighty to save in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.